This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. My name is Alex Fitton, and I am so excited for you to join me today. This is the first episode on a three-part series on trauma. So as adoptive moms, we are no strangers to trauma, but a lot of times we just see the impact that trauma has on our family and we don't always fully understand the why behind it. So today's episode is going to feature Dr. Christine Culpepper. So Christine was born and raised in Louisiana and she loves Cajun food and Mardi Gras and warm weather, of course, because she's from New Orleans. And then she went on to medical school. Then she did a pediatric residency. And then she did a fellowship in neonatology. So that's a lot of education. So now she works with NICU babies, dealing with really hard stuff that they were never meant to experience. And she and I got to talk about these different outside influences and how they can negatively impact our kids, not just as infants, but as they grow and learn to interact with others and hopefully become contributing members of society. That's the dream, right? So um, being a mom of a baby born addicted to multiple substances, this one really hit home for me. And um, it was super educational and informative. And I'm a firm believer that understanding how our kids' brains and bodies work can hand us tools to better raise them and help them heal. Um, If you agree, then this episode is going to rock your world. So get excited. Also, just to let you guys know, Dr. Culpepper was getting over the flu when we recorded, so you might be able to tell, but um, she's all better now, so no worries there. Um, Before we get to the episode, I want to tell you guys, I did a drawing last week for all of the listeners who went and rated and reviewed the podcast on iTunes. The winner is Wally Vaughn, so that's not, obviously, that's not like a real name, so if you are Wally Vaughn, then reach out to me because you have won yourself a Target gift card. Um, If you haven't yet, please rate and review because all of those awesome ratings and reviews that I got last week really help bump up the podcast. They help tell other people, hey, you should totally go and listen to the Adoptive Mom podcast. So thank you guys so much. And please keep it up. If you haven't done it yet, it takes like two seconds. I promise. Um, A couple of ways to get involved are my Facebook group and my email list. Those links are on the AdoptiveMomPodcast.com. They're just great ways to get connected to a community and connected to me specifically. I am better able to talk directly to you through those two resources. So get on it. And that's all I have for you guys. Let's jump into my interview with Christine Culpepper. All right, everyone, welcome to the podcast and welcome to Dr. Christine Culpepper. I am thrilled to be talking to you. You are actually the first medical doctor that has been on my show. And um, that's that's kind of intimidating because you're like really smart and I don't know about a lot of this stuff. So I'm excited to chat with you. So how's it going this morning? It is good. I am recovering from the flu. And so I'm actually feeling good for the first time today. And I am Super excited to be on this podcast and so honored that you chose me to come and talk to you guys. Absolutely. And um, the flu is no joke. So you are like a survivor right now. And that's that's a big deal. 
<laughs> um, and you had a sick kid and those two things combined are no fun. Um, but yeah, I am, I'm excited to have you on the show too. And, um, I know I said this in the intro, but we're going to be chatting about, um, a lot of things that having to do with babies. So in the other two episodes for this trauma series, we've talked about really one in particular, uh, trauma disorder. And in this one, we're going to be talking about, uh, drug exposure, fetal alcohol syndrome, physical, or physical, excuse me, physical trauma in utero and a lot of those kinds of things. But first, before we get started on that, I want you to tell us why are you, Dr. Culpepper, qualified to talk about this stuff? So I am a neonatologist, which means, so initially I got my training in pediatrics. So I'm a pediatrician who then went to get extra training. So I did a fellowship. Um, as my husband says, I was in school forever and finally have a real job. Um, so I got extra training to work specifically with babies, um, whether that be premature babies term babies that are sick, babies that are exposed to drugs, babies with genetic conditions. Um, and so that is, I mean, I work, you know, I work primarily with babies. I work in a hospital setting. I don't, I'm not outpatient and yep, it's, it's my life. It is babies and I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you have one of the best jobs because, um, you know, aside from the really sad stuff that happens with your job, obviously, but like you get to hold the babies and then give them back to their parents. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't help with baby fever, though. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's true. Um, Okay, so yeah, tell us a little bit about just your family stuff, though. Um, uh, You mentioned your husband. So what what what's going on at home for you? So yes, I am married to my husband. We've been married seven years. We actually met um, when I was a resident in Little Rock, um, and we actually both both worked for UAMS, although would have never met um, because he's IT, and so is holed away inside a room, not at the (laughs) hospital, and I was a pediatric resident at the time, which means I was holed away at the hospital all the time, not really having much of a social life, Um, and so we actually met on Match.com. Um, yeah, been married for seven years. He is my rock and an amazing father. We have two kids and he helps deal with the fact that mommy's not around all the time with, you know, I, since I work in the hospital, I take shifts during the day, but I also have call nights where I get called in and have to go. And so I'm not here for dinners or bedtime and sometimes not here in the morning to bring them to school. So he has, mastered hairdoing on two kids, which I think is impressive. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. He's actually very good at a double ponytail. <laughs> wow. I know. Yeah. Not even just regular hairdoing. He's got some good skills. Um, yeah, that's impressive. My husband, um, I he has no fingernails because he like bites them below the quick. And so <laughs> the other day I was trying to teach him how to do a ponytail and he was just like pawing at her head. And I was, I, just, <laughs> I tried really hard for like five minutes. I was just like, you're doing great, honey. And then finally I was like, no, no, just let me finish. <laughs> yes. He's working on learning braiding right now because they're wow. both in having their hair braided. So that it, it's some advanced moves over here. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So you're a girl mom. Tell me about your kids. Yeah. So I have two kids, um, Piper, who is just about to turn five and Madeline, who just turned three. They are girly girls to the max. Um, <laughs> I am not the most girly, so I'm not really sure how that happened. They... Um, love princesses. They wear dresses every day. Basically, 
we only w- insist upon wearing pants because you have to keep warm under, you know, under the dresses. <laughs> but if not, they would totally not wear pants. Um, they are so sweet and so goofy. Yeah. Very fun kids. But yes, very, very girly. Oh, girl. I have one of those, too. I, I feel you. <laughs> but um, OK, so even though so you have two kids and both of them are not adopted, but you work with kids every day. And you know, we've already alluded to this that are from hard places that are dealing with things that, to be honest, no human should ever have to deal with. So you you work with these kids and you see really, really sad things um, in addition to, I'm sure, the, the joyful things as well. But what what drew you to that profession? What drew you to want to work with the difficult cases? Well, it, I mean, it really starts off with one, I actually thought I wanted to do OB early on. I have an aunt who's an OB. I had some experience shadowing her around. Um, but every time I realized when I went to deliveries, I wanted to go with, be with the baby. I didn't want to stay with the mom. You know, the exciting part once the baby's out is the baby, right? And so that was one of the big things for me. Um, plus, I do think the wonderful thing about neonatology is that it has hope. You know, I think mm-hmm. a lot of medicine out there maybe does have hope, but this one, most babies get better. Most babies go home. Um, yes, they may have a really rough time in the unit and it's horrible and I would never wish anyone to have their baby in the unit. Um, but they ultimately go home and they ultimately get to lead wonderful lives. Um, and I think one of my favorite things, especially about now living here is that I tend to go roam around target, like all good moms, you know, especially (laughs) sometimes on a post call. Yes, exactly. You know, on a post call day when I'm tired and probably shouldn't be roaming around target because then I just kind of fill up the cart with random things. (laughs) But I run into moms that stop me and are like, oh my gosh, you know, Dr. Culpepper, you took care of my baby, you know, and they show me pictures. And that is one of the most amazing things to say, oh, well, you know, my baby was having seizures early on and you, you know, we figured it out, we got it treated and now they're growing and thriving and a little three-year-old sitting in the cart, you know, smiling at me. I mean, how amazing is that? Yes. I love that. I think that because it's, it's, it's a lot, um, it's very similar to our, our calling as adoptive moms to see these kids through their hard times and help them to flourish. And that's what you do too. You know, you take a a broken situation and you get to, you get to walk them through, uh, to the other side often. And I think that's so neat. I have like have chills right now because that just seems like a really, really cool, uh, I don't know, just job that you get to do. And I'm sure that it's not always, it's very delayed gratification probably because you're just seeing the day to day stuff. And, you know, when you don't get to, or when you don't get to see the results until they stop you in target, you know, you're right. <laughs> it's just really stop, neat. You know, or Facebook, luckily there's, you know, yeah. with the modern age, I do get to see people post pictures on Facebook or yes, Target. <laughs> and we actually do every year have a reunion um, for people that are welcome to come back and come show off their kids, show us how amazing they're doing. And oh my gosh, it's such a fun day. And um, I love going around and seeing all of them and talking to their parents and most of the time I recognize the parents. You don't really recognize the kid because they've changed so much. Yeah. Um, but it, oh, it's one of my favorite days um, being a neonatologist. I love that. So, but let's, let's talk about some of those harder things. So, you know, I'm sure that you are very familiar with having to deal with like social services and stuff and calling 
calling in extra people to deal with some of these harder cases. Um, what Walk us through that process. So when a baby is born, say you don't know that it's going to be um, born addicted to drugs or anything like that. What are some of the signs that you guys see when before you have to, uh, I don't know, make those make those hard calls? So a lot of times we have some clue. I would say it's probably rare that we don't um, just with, I mean, a lot of moms are honest and do tell us that they've done drugs. They may not tell us the extent of what they've done mm-hmm. or exactly all the different drugs they've done. Um, I, but I would say most of the time we do have some clue. Um, but whether those babies are going to withdraw or what exactly is going to unfold, you know, is can be very unexpected. And what we're looking for is lots of different signs. The two most typical depending on what they're withdrawing from are neurologic signs. So these babies can, sometimes they start off kind of more on the sleepier end and then actually kind of change. And then they're, so they're not sleeping as well. They can be very jittery. They have higher tone. So their muscles are very tight. So instead of Mm -hmm. kind of laying more loose in the bed, they're laying much more tight, arms really up, legs taut up. They, can sneeze a lot. They can have a lot of frantic sucking where they just constantly want to be sucking on something, whether that be a pacifier or a bottle. They can have loose stools, which is a very hard thing in babies because, as you know, babies eat liquid, so they poop liquid. Um, But it can be even more watery than what you would normally expect with a baby. Mm. A lot of, you can tell that they're, it's hard to describe. It's like colic where you feel like their tummies hurt. Um, they can get horrible diaper rash from the loose stools. So it can be a really big constellation of symptoms that we're looking for. And the problem is, is that you've got withdrawal. So babies can withdraw from things, but you can also get babies that are born with, they were exposed in utero that they actually are going to have toxicity from Mm. these drugs. And so parsing out, is this a toxicity or is this a withdrawal is a very challenging thing. Mm. Yeah, I, that sounds really complicated. And it sounds like you're having to look um, at a really fragile thing for signs of really sad things. Um, so what about what about like fetal alcohol syndrome? What are some of the things so you I see would there? say? So that is probably one of the harder diagnoses to make. Because mm. um, it's very, very subtle. These babies actually from the, what the studies see, they don't really withdraw from the alcohol. So that's not something you're seeing withdrawal from. It's more physical characteristics in the babies. Mm. Um, and a lot of times I will say it's probably honestly missed because it's so, so subtle um, that a lot of times I would say it probably gets more picked up later on as these babies develop and they're missing milestones, their language isn't as good, and that's more when fetal alcohol is picked up. Um, it's also not something you can really test for easily. And so that is a, that's a very hard diagnosis. And I can't even say I've ever made that diagnosis personally in a baby. Mm. That'd be hard. Um, it'd be hard to discover later on and try to backtrack and figure out like what, what were the signs that we, you know, where were, where did we see or what did we miss or just whatever. Um, okay. And then what about, what about like physical trauma? So say like the mom had been abused while she was pregnant. What are some of the things you see there? So that may more be things that were, the mom didn't get good prenatal care. Mm. Um, so, you know, she's 
let's say she was abused and so she doesn't want to go into the doctor and, you know, you're stripped down. Maybe there's bruises, evident, something that would point to the fact that she's been abused. Um, the mom might not have good nutrition at that point. Um, so I would say that's probably more you're going to have, you may have a smaller baby, um, but it, you may not be able to pick up anything in the baby. Man. And that's, uh, you know, to be honest, these things are hard to discuss um, because you never want to wish that. But, you know, as a, a drug baby mom, um, that was one of our adopted kids is that he was addicted to just a plethora of things when he was right. born. And that was something that I walked into completely blind. Um, mm-hmm. I had no experience with this. There's no handbook on dealing with a drug addicted baby. And especially because a lot of the drugs can present differently. So yes. talk to us about that. What are some of the things that you see differences between say like meth and, um, even just as much as like smoking cigarettes, you know, what are, what are some of the different right. ways that that trans, uh, transfers into a baby? Right. Um, and so, I mean, that's the hard thing kind of, like I said earlier is that they can all semi present, they can present in very similar ways. Um, things like methamphetamines, and nicotine cigarettes can present with more of a toxicity. So very similar symptoms or signs that you see in a withdrawal baby, but these tend to get better with time Mm -hmm. because as the drug gets out of the system, the baby's going to do better versus opioids. When you withdraw from something, as the drug gets out of your system, you tend to do worse. And so you tend to actually with opioids, you tend to get worse over time versus with cigarettes, methamphetamines, you're going to tend to get better over time. Um, and there are, you know, it tends to be a compilation that, you know, it's rare that a mom uses one drug Mm -hmm. or, you know, nicotine, for example, I think a lot of people don't think like, oh yeah, they know smoking is bad when you're pregnant, but I don't think realize all the effects it can have on the baby. It can, the baby can actually be growth restricted. So not grow well in utero, um, the baby can have toxicity once it's born and they're actually starting, they're actually showing some that the baby can have lifelong problems from it. And so it's a huge thing. Um, but then you mix that with other drugs and you can just get, it's a very, very mixed picture and it's very hard because really, you know, we have treatment for withdrawal, but it's only withdrawal from opioids. Other than that, we don't have a true medical treatment, I should say, a drug that we can give these babies. There's nothing we can technically do for the baby that is showing us toxic signs, but then trying to parse out which one is showing us opioid withdrawal versus a toxicity is very hard. And a lot of times they were then relying on the mom's history telling us what she took. Mm -hmm. And like I said, most of these moms are pretty honest, especially if their baby is having problems. They want to tell you what they took. That way we can figure out a way to help these babies. Um, we also have testing we can do. We can urine drug tests. We can, um, do meconium drug testing and we can actually do umbilical cord testing where we send a piece of the umbilical cord off for testing. The problem is the meconium drug testing, which is new baby poop, that really black tarry Mm -hmm. first poops. Um, and the cord, it can take 48 hours, 72 hour time you know, time to get these results back. And, you know, in that window, you sometimes have to make some big decisions. Yeah. Oh, I imagine. All right, guys, I hope you're really enjoying my interview with Dr. Culpepper. She's awesome. And I hope you guys are learning as much as I did. 
Um, I'm really excited to announce something really cool. So I am going to be partnering for another giveaway with a company called Restoration Threads. They have the coolest mission. Are you ready? They want to raise awareness and provide support for various foster care organizations. And every month, Restoration Threads is going to choose a different foster care organization to financially support through their merchandise sales. So how cool is that? And I'm going to be partnering with them to do a giveaway drawing next week for one free shirt on their website. And you guys can check out all those designs on the adoptivemompodcast.com slash restoration threads. My favorite one says every number has a name. These are real kids with real faces and that they matter. So to enter the giveaway, you're going to need to go and follow me and Restoration Threads on Instagram. I'll have the link to both of those in the show notes, but you can just go to Instagram and search The Adoptive Mom and Restoration Threads. To let us know that you want to enter the giveaway, drop an emoji comment on one of our photos about the drawing. So I'm going to post one. She's going to post one. Just drop a little emoji. That will let us know that you're entered. And then we'll do the drawing next Sunday. And I totally check to make sure you're following both me and whoever I'm doing the drawing with. So definitely check all those boxes because I'm not going to put you in the drawing if you didn't do it. Just saying. I hope you guys have fun with it and just check out their shop anyway, because they are awesome. Okay. Back to Christine Culpepper. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I have heard that since methamphetamine in the grand scheme of things, it's a fairly newer, it's a newer drug or on the newer end of the Mm -hmm. spectrum. So the testing or the, 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 um, it's just really hard to see the effects. And that was one of the drugs that my baby was born with. And we were just told that we just don't know a lot. You know, we've, we've heard that sometimes it can lead to ADHD or something like that, but we just don't yes. know. So what are, what are some of the ways that we can follow these kids and, and figure out what, what the, what the, excuse me, what effects these drugs have long-term? So I think that lays into a lot of our problems in neonatology. So even just looking at things other than drugs, you know, just like, oh, what does this medical treatment do for this baby long-term? Follow-up with babies is very hard. So you have to, one, get parents who are going to comply, who are going to, you know, if they move, give you your new address, give you the new phone number. And so keeping up with these kids is just one ball, you know, just one thing you have to do. Then you're going to throw into the environment these kids are raised in. And so let's say a kid goes to a home where it gets abused versus a kid that goes to a home where it's brought to the pediatrician regularly versus a kid that, you know, grows up in a home where let's say maybe it goes to the doctor some, but it doesn't, you know, has other med, let's say it has other medical problems. It gets, so there's so many, I guess, confounding factors that this research is so hard to do. And so it really is a lot of times that we just we don't have great answers and it's probably best for the parents to know that one we don't but you know we do presume that there may be some problems and that making sure that you do have good follow up with your pediatrician and that if you have concerns they really need to be voiced cuz you know pediatricians have little spots you know where they have to fit in and see your let's say a well child visit fit you in how is your kid growing? How's your kid eating? How is your kid walking, talking? All these things they have to fit into this time slot um, and try to pick up on problems. And so I feel like it really is up to the parents to help say, hey, you know, telling these pediatricians when you go, 
let's say you change pediatricians. My baby was exposed to X, Y, or Z, or we don't even know fully what my baby was exposed to um, as part of your medical history. So we can't ever forget that. And then if you have concerns, let's say speech doesn't seem right, or we seem to have some ADHD symptoms, really, you know, getting in there and getting on top of it early, because I do believe that early intervention is really key. Yes, absolutely. And I think that, I mean, I can totally, I didn't even think about that, 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 that so much of that can depend on their home life as well, not even just past, um, I don't know, past infancy or past when they're right. in the NICU. Um, and a lot of that can depend on your, your, uh, your decisions that you had to make you, like you said, in that first 48 hours of whether or not we call DHS, whether or not we send this baby home, um, and with things like you're saying fetal alcohol syndrome, you might not even see the signs or you might right. not uh, see the extent of them uh, later on. And I want to talk about more more about fetal alcohol syndrome um, as we progressed on the line, because I'm trying to think of this as like a timeline. So, you know, you think about we've talked about birth. We talked about right after birth. So when they're when they're in your unit um, and say a baby is withdrawing, I know this is a really not fun question to answer, but what are, what do you see that in that baby? What do you, what are they going through? I mean, in their body. And then what do you see with your eyeballs as the doctor? Mm-hmm. So one, I rely a ton on my nurses to let mm-hmm. me know. Cause as you know, we come through, we're there for a little bit of time. Um, and so I rely a lot on them telling me, how is this baby sleeping? How is it responding to its environment? Um, with a baby that is at risk for opioid withdrawal, we actually have a whole scoring system Mm -hmm. to help us know how bad is this baby withdrawing and do we need medication? Um, and so things you can see kind of like I talked about earlier would be that the baby is very jittery. So the baby is kind of shaky, especially once unwrapped. So sometimes they're calm when they're nice and swaddled, but you unwrap them from their swaddle and they can be very jittery. Their tone is very high. Um, think about babies, newborn babies. They have, you know, their head's real heavy. They lag that back. Some of these babies with higher tone that are withdrawing, their head stays really tight in, and they don't tend to lag it back if you pick them up. Um, they can have horrible diaper rash. They can sneeze a lot, um, very frantic sucking. Let's say you go into the room and you know that baby startle reflex where their arms kind of fly out. Mm-hmm. Um a little noise can make those babies have a very exaggerated moral reflex, we call it. Um, and so a lot of it is putting together what I see on exam, but I'm catching a glimpse in time, plus what the nurses are telling me, plus what the parents are telling me. Yes. And are, are they at higher risk for uh, reflux as well? Um, they're at higher risk, I would say, for tummy issues in general. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if necessarily reflux, but they tend to be more sensitive. They tend, like I said, they have diarrhea, they have tummy upset. A lot of these babies, if moms aren't going to breastfeed or let's say it's an adoptive situation and we don't have breast milk, then I do recommend starting these babies on a more gentle, hydrolyzed, broken down formula from the start. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's something we saw as well. And it was hard because, um, you know, we adopted through the foster care system. So we got WIC um, Uh and WIC doesn't have those options. (laughs) Yes. And so we were faced with like, do we buy this very expensive formula with our own money or do we continue with, you know, just similar basic formula? And it's a, it's a hard decision to be honest. I actually, I had my daughter, um, five months after he was born. And so I did give him some of my breast milk, um, 
throughout the rest of his you know, mm-hmm. first year, which I think helps some. But it's just it's so hard as a mom to make those decisions, especially like me when you have no clue what's going on. You know, we, I was told right. he's withdrawing from meth, marijuana, cigarettes, and opiates, but like that sounded. Um, somewhat like a foreign language to me. And I didn't know what medication he had been on or what we were dealing with. And one of the things that I saw really quickly was that he, if you put him down, it was, it was like you were torturing him. Um, So, but I think that that, that goes to um, another question I had, which is like neurologically, what is going on in their bodies? What are they feeling as much as you can know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it, I, Really, I mean, I think if you asked anybody who ever took drugs consistently and asked how they felt when they were withdrawing, then they could probably explain that the best because they are, I I don't know if I could even describe it because I've never felt it myself, Mm -hmm. but I, you know, if the moms do stay involved in, let's say it's not an adoptive situation, I think whenever I'm trying to explain to these moms what the babies are going through, I ask them, have you ever stopped your meds abruptly or not been able to get them and felt withdrawal. And then I say, you know, this is what your baby is feeling. And that really hits home for them. And I think a lot of people then understand, understand, um, what their baby is going through and the need for medication. Cause I think, you know, the problem is once we start a medication, so let's say a baby is withdrawing enough from opioids, it tends to be a prolonged NICU course. So you're in the unit for, I would say, minimum two weeks and sometimes longer, sometimes up to a month or more getting started on meds and then being slowly weaned off. And so it's not a decision we make lightly. Um, and so I would, you know, per, for these babies, I'm sure it's miserable to feel that way. Um, and ultimately what we start with is what we call non-pharmacological measures. And so these are the babies that if we know early on we're recommending we don't need bright lights in the room. We don't need tons of people visiting. This is not the baby you need everybody coming to visit and pass around and, you know, loud noises. You need it nice and quiet, maybe some white noise. You need dim lights. Um, these babies require a lot of holding. They m- most of the time are not babies you can lay down. Um, I've even heard a talk where they say that a lot of these babies sleep better on their sides and you almost have to train them to sleep better on their back for safe sleep. Um, they need to be held almost 24 seven. You know, these are babies that our nurses are walking around the, if the mom has to leave the room, this is ones where our nurses are walking around the unit, holding these babies because they just can't be put down. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's a lot more, there is a lot you have to pay attention to and a lot that needs to be done. And newborn babies are a lot to start off with. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and that, so, you know, as a, Prior to this, I was a fairly just neurotypical mom. You know, I had a, a normal baby and we'd adopted a teenager, but, you know, I knew what I knew, which was, you know, oh, you've got to, you know, teach the baby that sometimes it's okay that mommy has to go to the bathroom or whatever. So you right. can like, you're not going to die if you sit by yourself for a second. And when we got, um, when we got my son rock, that was not the case. I mean, he could not be put down. He was constantly mm-hmm. screaming, constantly just agitated and, and I had no idea. All I knew was like, I've got to teach him that it's okay to not have to be held all the time. And now looking back, I wish that that's not what I had done. So talking mm-hmm. to moms like me who are getting kids or who could potentially in the future get kids like this, what would you encourage them? What what behaviors would you encourage them to like throw out the window as far as like, this is not a normal baby. You can't be a normal yes. mom. 
it's, well, you're not going to be, this is not going to be the baby that's going to go lay down in their crib and sleep for three hours at a time and then wake up and eat and go right back to bed. Um, these are babies or, you know, like I said, where you're going to be passing them around at a function. Um, these babies also, once they leave the unit, especially let's say, even if they got treated, um, they're still going to go home and have symptoms. They're still going to be probably more colicky babies. Um, so this is not like, oh, once you leave the unit, let's say we watch you for withdrawal and we say, okay, you don't meet criteria for meds or you weren't, you were more toxicity. And so you don't need medication. Once you go home, like, just like you said, it's not the, you're not, you're not going home with a baby that is perfectly fixed. You have a baby who can still have problems. Um, and so these babies, you just need to hold all the time. That being said, you also need to know when to walk away. And just like any baby, you know, you need to know that, yes, ultimately you have to pee and you have to shower and you need to eat. And sometimes you may just need a mom brain break. And if the baby does have to cry, as long as it's in a safe place, that's, you know, that's what you do. Or you recruit help and say, hey, grandparents, friends, you know, especially for the first, you know, few weeks of life, I may need a little more help and I may need some backup. Um for holding this baby around the clock, you know, a good baby carrier is amazing. Um, and then put them a talk that I listened to recently talked about slowly introducing stimuli to the baby. So mm. figuring out what your baby does well with what your baby accepts, let's say you, your baby really loves to be swaddled super tight and that helps the withdrawal symptoms. And a lot of times those babies really love really good swaddling. Let's say it, but your baby's nice and awake and it's okay. We're not having those moments where we're screaming and we look really nice and alert. Try loosening that swaddle a little bit. So sly, try slowly introducing some stimuli um, to your baby. That way it, he or she does start getting used to these things and doesn't constantly have to be swaddled all the time. Um, but I think help is a huge thing. Um, I also was going to send you two videos on one these are things we do in the unit, which I think are amazing and really recommend. I wish I would have done them with my own children and my children were withdrawing, but they're, um, one is infant massage. And so seeing if your baby would accept, you know, touch, um, with a massage oil or a coconut oil is really good because it's, um, really gentle on baby skin. So anything unscented, I would say, um, also there's something called a swaddle bath which I think is actually great for all babies because, you know, you take these newborn babies they are used to be in, you know, water still a good thing for them. They like nice warm water, but you take them, you know, they're used to being all curled up in utero, nice and squished. And then you kind of flail them out in the bathtub <laughs> and a lot of them just don't like it. Um, and so our therapist in the unit do something called a swaddle bath where you actually have them swaddled in a blanket while you bathe them and you slowly, and that blanket is wet, warm water, and you kind of slowly unwrap and wash one extremity at a time and then swaddle them back. And oh my God, it's like a spa bath. Like seriously, sometimes I'm like, who wants to swaddle bathe me? Like this looks amazing. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> or give me a massage. Um, <laughs> but these are, I think, maybe some tricks that you could do at home um, other than buying a really awesome baby carrier mm. to just keep that baby skin to skin and you can have hands free and still move. <laughs> yeah. It's really fun wearing a Moby while you're pregnant. 
<laughs> Got really good at it. <laughs> That create, is amazing. It does create a good like shelf for them to sit on. Yeah, they could sit right there. Not bad. Oh, <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Had to get really for for a non touchy feely person. That was a that was a rough season for me. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh my goodness. Okay, so before we move on to some of these, um, so like some of the things you see as a child gets older and grows, and some of the um, milestone issues that you have, I want to ask you about um, an issue that I did not prep you for. So my apologies, but I know this is something that you might not actually see a ton of, but just because you're a doctor and you're really smart, you might know some stuff about. What about failure to thrive? So as a result of neglect, what do you, what do we see there in babies? So most of the time with failure to thrive, with neglect, you've got really tiny babies. So these are babies that were most likely born okay. Um, They don't always have to be, but a lot of times they're born, you know, they've got a good, you ask their birth weight, it was a good seven, eight pound baby. Um, And then you see these babies falling off their growth curves. Mm. Um, A lot of times the difference, if it's a neglect, is that when you feed these babies, they eat. You know, they are hungry, they ravenously eat versus, let's say, a failure to thrive from an innate GI issue or something like that, where maybe you feed these babies and they're not going to eat because they now have an oral aversion because they have so many GI symptoms from eating. And so they don't want to eat because it hurts. Yeah. And so a lot of times these babies are, you know, as they, if they come back in, they are very tiny at this point. Um, and, but like I said, normally very hungry and then put on weight quickly. That's an easy thing to see. So you feed a baby, you, you know, you weigh it every single day and they start gaining weight very quickly. That may clue into your mind that maybe these babies weren't, this baby wasn't fed appropriately at home. Yeah. And that's got to be really hard to see as well, especially when you're having to, again, make these decisions, you know, as a mandated reporter, you're like, do I send this baby home? You know, do I, right. Do we, and I would say most of the time we report, Yeah, you know, we, if we have a question, we get social work involved, social work talks to DHS, you know, and then it's in, it's in DHS's hands at that point. And whether that be, they follow the mom, they do they follow the family, they do home visits to whether they take the baby away, you know, that we can only show them what we see. Um, but I would say we always err on the side of more reporting. Um, you know, especially if we feel like we have it, this is not something we ever do lightly. This is not, we don't ever just go report because we're like, Oh, we think maybe, you know, if we truthfully have a concern and there's a lot of times other things that point out to, um, you know, with the families, either their behavior in the hospital, other things that show us some red flags, um, then, you know, we have a big team. We've got nurses who can observe. We have us. We have social workers. And then if we do truthfully have a concern, then we report to DHS. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that's good. That's what, yeah, it's just, it's got to just be, I don't know, it's got to be a hard balance doing your job. And, um, but let's let's move on to some of the stuff that maybe they're out of your unit. But what are some of the things that you see with uh, with these different trauma disorders um, that they've been affected by early on? You know what that you know. What are some of the things that you see in fetal alcohol syndrome as they grow? So fetal alcohol syndrome is one of the ones that we know that they have problems as they grow. Mm-hmm. Um, one, you know, these kids tend to start off small, and they can have growth problems. Most of them have some, they can have behavior problems and a lot of them have learning problems, which is a big thing for fetal alcohol syndrome. And it's one of the ones that we, 
really do have good data, good follow-up data to say these kids do have these problems and that you are going to need to watch them closely for learning disability and um, problems, especially once they get into school. Yeah. Well, and I know that the behavior problems can be really tricky for especially adoptive parents um, who didn't necessarily do the damage, so to speak, but now they're trying to figure out something that they have no context for and they're just seeing a child misbehave, to be frank, um, right. constantly. So what are some of the things that those parents can, um, I, I mean, tell themselves to give themselves some grace, but then also take appropriate steps to walk their child through that? Um, so I think, you know, one of the big things is you don't know what happened to this kid. And then depending, you know, this baby, you know, maybe you got it right after birth and maybe you do know that there's drugs. So then you can say, okay, we do have this history and this probably, you know, it probably is playing into it. Or let's say you got this baby at a few months or at a year and who knows what happened during that time period. Um, and that I think for you guys, I mean, it's such an amazing wonderful thing that you adopt these babies and you give them this hope, you know, and so you are their lifeline. You are the person to say, Hey, there's a problem. You, you know, I either know you were exposed to something or I know that maybe something could have happened and let's figure out getting you help and, you know, getting even parents help. I mean, you may need, if you, let's say you have a kid who has a lot of behavior problems, that is so, parenting is hard. Oh my goodness. It's <laughs> so hard. Yes. Um, and so making sure that you're taking care of yourself too, as a parent, making sure that you're getting the appropriate mommy time, or let's say these behavior issues are really wearing on you, maybe having someone to talk to outside of the family about how this is all going. Um, someone to help you out through this process, I think is a great thing. So I just always reaching out for help. Um, and never being ashamed to say, you know, I just, I need help as a parent. I don't think that you should, you know, it takes a village truthfully to raise kids. And I think we should use our village. Absolutely. Um, and so, okay. So then talking about some of the different, you know, we, we touched on this earlier, um, some of the different things that you see within the NICU for different kinds of babies, but what about as they grow with drugs? So, I know that we, you know, we've already discussed. There's very little data for what mm -hmm. a meth, you know, what a what kind of a kid a meth baby is going to turn into, and it's it's really hard because even I have one, and I'm like, I don't know which, you know, which behaviors are from that and which are from opiates and whatever else. So, what are some of the different right. behaviors you see in adolescents from the different drugs? So, methamphetamines are really just isn't data. That's mm -hmm. just one thing. One, it tends to be more sporadic use, and so it's not a consistently used drug most of the time during pregnancy, um, and it tends to get mixed in with all the other drugs, and so that's a really hard one. Mm -hmm. um, cocaine, they've shown some long-term effects. Um, alcohol, like we talked about fetal alcohol syndrome, is definitely one that you can see intellectual disability, behavior problems. Um Nicotine actually is one that there's some evidence that you can have behavior problems. There's also, I think, concern for, so if, you know, let's say these moms were addicted to medications, then is this addictive personality, this addictive trait going to run in the family? So I think you are at higher risk for these kids to be more experimental with drugs mm. to, you know, I think it also, it probably depends on the environment that they were raised in, but even with that being said, you know, a lot of 
alcoholics. It tends to run in the family. Um, and so these addictive personalities may be something that is innately in this kid. And so you may need to watch out for this kid going out and trying some things and getting into the wrong crowd. And, um, I think keeping a very open conversation with your kid, um, talking about, you know, letting this kid know what he or she was exposed to. Yeah. Um, and knowing that they maybe are at higher risk, it may, maybe would make them change their mind about certain things. Um, I think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. I wish there was, I wish there was better, you know, like these are things I would definitely watch out for. Or, these are things you're definitely going to see, but I think all of it's going to depend so much on how this kid was ultimately raised, you know, so many other social factors are really going to play into it. But at the same point, you know, if this kid goes out and starts experimenting with drugs, this may be something, it may not be anything, you know, you did wrong as a parent. Um, you know, cause I think parents are always beating themselves up for what their kids do. This may be something that the kid has an addiction problem and that's from genetics yeah, and something you may not be able to change, but something that you need to keep on high alert for. So that reminds, I mean, it, it brings a question to mind, and this is probably a really dumb question. I'm going to preface it with that. But does, you know, say a kid was born addicted to, you know, to whatever drugs and they try them later. Does their, does their body remember that? Does it jump quicker into addiction than say someone who just tried it and then decided it wasn't for them? I honestly don't know, but I think they probably are at higher risk for, mm-hmm trying things and getting easier addicted to things, yeah. maybe earlier experimentation. Um, so I, I think that's a very high possibility, although I'm not sure if that's truthfully found in the literature. Yeah. <laughs> or haven't looked at that in the literature. But I think that that's a good, um, a good reason for what you were saying, which I love that you said it's, it's good to have open conversations with these kids because if they know that, hey, your body is – predisposed to, to struggle with this. So let's mm-hmm. just not go there or, you know, whatever, and be, have those open conversations. I think that that could really help. Right. Um, so what about things like, you know, you mentioned earlier muscle rigidity. Um, is that something that goes away over time or are those the kids that are in PT that are in, you know, struggling to have normal flexibility? That tends to go away with over time, okay. depending whether that was a toxicity. And so it goes out of the system a little faster versus whether it was withdrawal. And so you just truthfully have to get over that hump of withdrawing. Um, I would say some kids we do recommend follow up with PT, ultimately just until you really can relax um, to, you know, to help with their increased tone. But it does, it does something that is, it does tend to go away with time. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, you mentioned earlier, I, I don't remember what you called it. I think it started with an M, but the reflex where they are really. Yeah, the Moro. Yes. Moro. Thank you. So, I mean, we have experience with this and it has, it, I know that it leads to behavior problems and impulse control issues. And, um, and I think that those are the things that a lot of parents struggle with the most as their kid grows older, because we just want, we just want them to be, you know, quote, normal. Um, uh-huh. but they have these things in their bodies that, that prevent that. So, um, I mean, these are the kids that you see in OT a lot and that are yes. struggling with, you can't just knock something over because you think it might be fun or you can't just hit someone because you think it might be fun. So what are, what are some of the things you see there with that reflex transitioning into impulse control? Um, so I don't know if it necessarily has anything to do with the moro reflex, but maybe the oh, underlying, okay. um, 
So that's actually, so it's a reflex that tends to go away with time and babies, but, um, and it's a startle from a loud noise, but, um, I'm there are neuro changes that go on, you know, so these babies, when they're exposed to drugs, their little brains are developing. And so there are changes that are done that I'm sure there have been my studies that show you exactly what some of these changes are. And there are some things we probably don't know about. Um, but these, you know, going into your question of the kids being a little more impulsive, or let's say maybe they have sensitivity issues. Um, it's, like you, it's getting them the help. It's getting them into OT early. It's, you know, being very persistent as a parent about, hey, my kid was exposed to these things and I'm noticing these subtle things or these things are really bothering me. And you can always ask, hey, can I get evaluated? Can I get my kid to PT, OT, speech? I mean, I am a firm, firm believer in early intervention. Actually, my youngest um, needed physical therapy for some core strength problems. And I was blown away with what a few months of physical therapy did for her. Like it, it is truthfully amazing what getting them into early intervention can do. And I'm not saying that's going to perfectly cure everything, but, um, getting them, them into those therapies. And then also in meeting with teachers ahead of time and saying, Mm -hmm. Hey, these are the problems that we have you know, with my child, it's really knowing your child, what sets them off and how to work around these things or how to work on these things and making sure that everybody understands that everybody's on board, um, and just making sure you have a plan in place the best you can. Yes. And I, I'm a big, 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 big fan of giving people the correct eyes for your kids. So I love that you're, Mm -hmm. you're saying these things as well, because I think that you know, a lot of the times we see parents that are, are adoptive parents that are just almost like willing their kids to be normal again in quotes. And so they, they turn a blind eye to some of these issues because they just want to chalk it up to age or, you know, um, just whatever. And I think that that doesn't, that doesn't serve your child. Well, that doesn't help them right. to, to have that life that you want for them. Cause I want that desperately for my, for my kid. And, I think that, you know, he's in therapy five times a week and that's helping him. And every time mm-hmm. re-eval comes around, I get a little nervous that he's going to test out because I'm like, no, he needs to be in therapy. <laughs> um, it really is. It's amazing what therapy can do very early on and getting them in and getting them the right things. And then truthful for parents too, making sure that you're getting all the help you need. I mean, there's early intervention programs. There's programs that can help you pay for these things, programs that can help you get the daycare that you need. Or, I mean, it's, I was a little blown away with how much, you know, a session of physical therapy costs. Um, but knowing that you can get your kid cared for, you know, we actually had Madeline in early intervention and we had people come out to the house and talk to us. And, you know, not only did we have her evaluated for PT, we had her evaluated for OT because the therapist noticed a few little things and, she actually, she scored out of OT, but it was wonderful that it was, you know, one thing kind of led to the other and everybody gave us wonderful pointers on things to do to help her strengthen and to, you know, be able to do the little things that she wanted to do. You know, she had a lot of problems with doing the stairs and, you know, when you go up and down stairs all the time, you know, that's a, that's a huge thing. And so they actually would come to our house and work on the stairs with her. I mean, it's amazing what they will do for your kids. And, um, I think the confidence that it helps your kids build when they can do some things and they can 
you know, they have the support and they start figuring things out. So I, I think also as a parent, just being persistent. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I basic I'm good friends with my pediatrician, but I basically called him and told him I needed a therapy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it doesn't, it never hurts to ask. It never hurts to push a little bit either. Um, like I said, we as doctors have limited windows to fit your kids in. And so we can't assess everything. And, you know, if you have to, before those appointments, write down a list of things that you want to discuss that we don't get in there and forget. Um, and if you need, you know, you could ask for sometimes ask for more time scheduling the appointment. Um, you know, I think there, you need to be advocate for your kid. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I feel like, I mean, you've, Oh, you've given us so much information. And I think that um, sometimes we want an immediate fix and that's not always, that's not always the, right. the starting point or what's best. And sometimes, I mean, to be cliche, knowledge is power. And so learning all of these things that you've taught us today is so important in helping us understand our kids and what they're going through and what their, what their little bodies have survived, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, and, and giving them credit for that and allowing them to have their journey as they walk through something that no one should ever have to go through. Um, so thank you for that. And I want to ask you yes. just one final question. Um, what would you what would you tell people who are not struggling with these things in their home? What would you tell them to give them better eyes for people who are? Oh, I Well, I think one of the biggest things is just understanding that kids, you know, kids are kids and they can act out for different reasons. And just because that kid in the mall that's throwing a fit on the ground doesn't mean that parent isn't a good parent or that parent wasn't being observant or did something wrong. You don't know what that kid has been through. You don't know what that parent has been through. Um, I think that even goes back to these NAS babies because I feel like a lot of judgments gets put on these birth moms too. Um, And a lot of these moms, when you truthfully sit down and hear their story, and hear what they've gone through in their life, it is, it's so, it's horrible. It's Mm -hmm. horrible. Um, And you almost understand why they did some of the things that they did. Um, And so just really, one, never judging a parent and knowing that you don't know why this kid is misbehaving. um, And that, you know, if you can offer help in any way, that's wonderful. Um, And I think for specifically for like the withdrawal babies and the ones that go home, that knowing that these families are going to have a fussier kid and maybe just bringing them a meal or coming to say, hey, I'm going to come hold your kid while you shower because you may not, like you said, be able to put this baby down for a very long period of time. They may not even be able to sleep at night in their own crib for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of these ones, you know, sleep on their moms or sleep on the nurses in the unit, like I said, and Um, so there are a lot of extra care. And so just being willing to help out in any way, um, is always wonderful. And like I said, just really avoiding judgment because you never know what happened to these babies, what happened to these moms, what, you know, you, you've never walked in their shoes. Mm. Girl, that's like some good stuff right there. So thank you. I'm, I'm, you're welcome. I'm so excited that you got to sit down and talk with us and um, I don't know, just educate us on some really important issues. So thank you again, Dr. Christine Culpepper. And I'll have those two videos that she mentioned in the show notes. And where can we, you know, if we wanted to follow up or if we wanted to have questions, where could we direct those questions for you? Um, you, if you want, you could um, 
send, you could give people my email address. Sure. Um, where can we find you on social media or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I'm on Facebook as Christine Culpepper. You can find me there. Um, I tend to scope it a decent amount because I'm part of a lot of mom's groups. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly to admit, but I like it. Um, and I will say those two videos, there's one that's the massage. And then there's the other one about the swaddle bath. Um, it is the, like the bathtubs video, like the people who make the certain swaddle bath, you don't necessarily need that bathtub. I'm not supporting that bathtub, but in the video, it shows you the good swaddle bath. Um, but yes, reach out to me. Um, email and Facebook are probably the two best ways or Target. Find me roaming around the Fayetteville Target. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, we can just like scope the, you know, the video surveillance or whatever and be like, she's there. Go. Exactly. I might have a cup of coffee. I'll be strolling around. <laughs> <laughs> Bring her a cake pop and ask her your questions, right? <laughs> exactly. I love it. <laughs> All right, girl. Well, thank you so much. Have a good day. Um, yes, thanks. You're welcome. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.